Hello, folks, and welcome to Poor Man's Lore, Episode 3. My name is Kevin Cody, and today the plan is I would like to start from the very beginning of magic storytelling and come right up to the present with it. So, let's begin. In 1993, Magic the Gathering launched to massive success pretty immediately, and between the years of 93 and 96, they put out a couple novels, a couple comics, but the really cohesive storytelling effort on Wizards of the Coast's uh, part began in 96 with the Weatherlight Saga. This was pretty classic 90s, uh, you know, kind of sci-fi fantasy storytelling. You had a ragtag crew on a mission to defeat the evils of Phyrexia, which we'll certainly be talking about in a bit. Uh, Eventually, the issue became power level. A lot of old story was driven by planeswalkers, which are godlike beings with godlike powers. It's really unrelatable. You know, it's like Superman in the DC comics, you know, nothing can stop him except kryptonite, but really there was no kryptonite in this scenario. They were just people who could walk around and do whatever they wanted with basically no consequences, because at the end of the day, they can always just leave. It's not their problem anymore. So to fix this, they decided they had to depower planeswalkers. The way they did this was in a set called Time Spiral. They had one of the characters discover that there were essentially holes in space-time that were going to destroy Magic's homeworld of Dominaria unless Planeswalkers sacrificed their sparks, the thing that made them Planeswalkers, in order to close them. So, essentially, uh, a lot of them did, some willingly, some not so willingly, and a new era of magic storytelling was born. In the narration, the, the timeline of magic story, we skip forward about 59 years after that, and that is where they introduce, both in the lore and in magic, the game, the card type and concept of a planeswalker in modern-day times. So they do this in the Lorwyn block, Lorwyn Block saw five basically main characters for magic, one in each color of magic. Now, I want to take a a brief minute to explain what the colors of magic are and kind of how that is viewed in in the in-world context of Magic the Gathering. I should mention I have a book in front of me that I'm referring to. Uh, it is called Magic the Gathering, A Visual Guide. It's written by Jay Anelli, the Magic Lore Master. I found it to be really helpful. Uh, I've been looking it over, looking at some of my favorite places and characters, but also it has a really great timeline in the front of the book that is, like I've basically said, from the beginning to now, the the loose timeline of the Magic Universe, which is a pretty good place to start. Uh, I wanted to make this episode for people that don't have a vast wealth of knowledge, so if that's you, welcome. So in the multiverse of Magic the Gathering, it is just that. It's a multiverse. There are several different universes that are, you know, their own plane of existence that planeswalkers can travel between. So it's kind of like, you know, Marvel's Cinematic Universe, with all of the multiverse stuff they're doing. If you've seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, it's somewhat similar to that. You know, multiverse uh, as a concept is pretty relevant today. I feel like a lot of storytelling is utilizing 
the concept of multiverses to tell these stories. And it's, it's really interesting. It's like that theory of like for every decision you make, you know, a different universe is born. That's kind of how the everything everywhere all at once angle takes it. Uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are all these parallel universes where things are just slightly different. Magic isn't exactly like that. Uh, the structure is the same, but each universe can have its own varied set of physical characteristics, you know, uh, sentient inhabitants of the plane, different metaphysics. So, you know, for example, Dominaria, pretty similar to Earth. All of the main stuff happens on one planet. It's a, you know, a round planet, just like Earth. But on one of my other favorite planes of Theros, everything is controlled by gods, which are very real in that world. It is a flat plane where at the end of it, it just falls off into nothingness. The sun rises and sets because of the gods' will, not because of, you know, the Earth rotating around the sun. So you can have... Uh, you know, a, a lot of really interesting and varied characteristics on different worlds. But one of the things that kind of remains the same through the worlds is the concept of magic. What do I mean by magic? Essentially, in, in the lore of Magic the Gathering, magic can be broken down into five colors, is how we represent it. But in the, in the actual real world of Magic the Gathering, there isn't like a concept of, oh yes, that person is a, a blue mage, you know, but different characteristics are represented as different colors. So to kind of give a brief overview of that, I'm just going to kind of look at the book and go with what it says, right? The colors are white, blue, black, red, and green. White is associated with law, order, you know, plans, civilization, Usually it's the greater good, uh, but you can have villains who, you know, are fascists, for example, might fall into this category, you know. Um, it's it's healing and wisdom, but also can be a lot of control. So that's, you know, one of the interesting things about color in Magic the Gathering is it, it isn't a, like a, well, for lack of a better term, it isn't black and white. You can have good and evil in various different colors. Uh you know, blue is a color of curiosity, wisdom, intellect, but it can also be, you know, omnipotence, omniscience. It's, you know, it's, like I said, not all, not all good all the time. You can have villains in blue, for sure, just like you can have heroes. I feel like blue kind of gets a bad rap in, uh, you know, magic, you know, in the, the real world, people, you know, typically don't like blue mages, but it is my favorite color of magic. Uh, I, I like to describe myself by saying I am, you know, I, I play blue, but I don't like the spell counterspell, which will make sense to those of you that know magic. To those of you that don't, stick with me. Moving on, black is the color of ambition, uh, you know, also death, decay, power. A lot of villains do wind up being in black, but that does not mean you can't have heroes in black as well. Red is the color of passion, also curiosity, uh, we've seen that in, in red a little bit more. Love, I love when, uh, you know, the motivation of love is brought up in a character and they're red aligned, I think that's, you know, really brilliant. Uh, green, take a guess what that's associated with, nature, natural energy, um, let's see what else it says in here, also balance, harmony, the natural state of things. 
Uh, and each of these, each of these colors has, in the gameplay aspect of Magic the Gathering, uh, a different type of landscape that's associated with it, right? So, uh, typically when you discuss the colors of Magic, you go in the order of white, blue, black, red, green. That's just the way it is. You can abbreviate this by saying Wooburg, W-U-B-R-G. We use U for blue because you can't use B because we also have black, which also starts with B. So the landscapes that are associated with them, white being plains, blue being islands, black being swamps, and red mountains, green forests. Makes sense. So that's kind of the overview of, you know, that's one of the things that is pretty consistent across all worlds. Magic also has color lists, which is sort of ill-defined, but essentially it lacks any of what I just said. Uh, the other thing that a lot of the planes have in common is they have certain pretty powerful beings, not godlike, but planeswalkers. Typically what happens is in a traumatic event, typically one where death is all but ensured, a character's spark will ignite. You know, perhaps they face a severe trauma. It can be any number of things. But when their spark ignites, they find that they have the ability to travel between worlds. Typically, the first time they travel, it's not something that's controlled or willful in any way. They just kind of get ripped out of their plane of existence and suddenly find themselves in a completely different world. Some worlds are friendly. Some worlds are not. And Planeswalkers, now that they have been depowered, they are mortal beings. They can die. Uh... Typically, it's not of old age, but, you know, they can certainly be killed by, you know, other conventional ways of, you know, let's say they get their head chopped off. Yeah, that'll do it, in, in most cases. So, let's move on. I want to start by looking at the timeline. So, we start off with the, on, on Dominaria, Magic's home world, Right, basically, it's just fantasy Earth. Uh, it's very big, it's a very large world. Again, all of these different worlds that folks visit, they can be larger or smaller. Dominaria, one of the larger worlds. It all starts 15,000 years before the event that is called the Mending. I already kind of talked about the Mending, but that's when all the space-time rifts were closed. It's a pretty important metric. Uh, it's kind of like you know, Jesus in, uh, you know, in our world. Everything is framed off of before or after the Mending. So 15,000 years before the Mending, we have the Elder Dragon War. On the Plane of Dominaria, which was pretty young at this point, uh, essentially a giant dragon was flying between the planes of existence, and his wing just brushed right into Dominaria, and that simple action created dragons on Dominaria. Typically, uh, you know, the dragons were not all that powerful, but the there were a couple that were, and I could be butchering this, but I know that there were definitely uh, a core group of dragons, the Elder Dragons, which do have cards in Magic the Gathering. The five, well actually we have six now, Elder Dragons from Dominaria, are Nicol Bolas, who is a huge character in Magic the Gathering, Chromium, uh, Arcades, P 
Palladium Moors, and I'm missing one, Vevictus Asmati. Each of them embodied different uh, colors in Magic the Gathering, so Nicol Bolas, for example, easily the most iconic of them, was black, red, and blue. Pretty pretty classic uh, villain, actually the villain of Magic storytelling for a number of years. But Nicol Bolas also had a twin brother, Ugin, who embodied colorlessness. Colorlessness, yeah, that's that's how you say that. Uh, essentially, we don't know a whole lot about it, but once they were born, they had a big Elder Dragon War. If you want to learn more about this, I believe the Corset 2019, which would have been released in 2019, I want to say, had the story of Nicol Bolas as its loose structure, and I know that they went a lot into the Elder Dragon's uh, origins, per se, right? I know the cycle of Elder Dragons got cards in that set. I'm going to try and go a little bit quicker for these next ones, because I have gone, I think there are 40 I counted before, and that was one of them. So, moving up to 10,000 years before the Mending, we have Ravnica, which is another really popular world in Magic the Gathering. Essentially, the entire plane is one never-ending city and it is ruled by ten guilds. So, essentially what they did is they took each of the color pairs, there are five different colors, so there are ten different color pairs, and they made a guild associated with that color pair, right? So, it's a it's a very popular world because it's very easy to identify yourself by, yes, I am a combination of these two colors, I would join this guild. It's a really fun time. I actually joined Magic, uh, you know, started playing Magic, in uh, two different times, I started and then came back to it, both during Ravnica sets. It's actually a time when a lot of people join the game because it's very simple, wonderful storytelling. But in this, in this instance, Ravnica, the ten different guilds that were formed there were formed by Paruns, I believe. It's P-A-R-U-N. I don't know. Perun, Parun, either way. Uh... Essentially, these all the all the inhabitants of Ravnica were basically in a never-ending war in their never-ending city, and these ten groups, the guilds, were formed to curb that warring. Uh, this was known as the Guild Pact, where the ten different factions all agreed to stop fighting divide things up by guilds, divide up, you know, control, and really the the power that was to be made in the guild pact kept peace for uh, quite a quite a number of years, well, relative peace, you know, Ravnica, it is funny, it's, it's everyone's favorite plane, but it is also, like, super deadly, like, it's so easy to die on uh, Ravnica, but anyway, that, that's, that's Ravnica in 10,000 years uh, before the Mending. Next up on Dominaria, we have the war between the ancient race of the Thran. They were powerful artificers who essentially were corrupted by one individual. Possibly my least favorite character in uh, all of Magic. That character is Yogmoth. Essentially, Yogmoth founds the Phyrexians here in this moment in a war where essentially he takes power in the Thran civilization 
and convinces everyone to become robot zombies. Uh, massive, massive oversimplification there. If you want to learn more about that, you can read The Thran by Jeff Grubb. Love that book. Uh, it is one of my favorite times in magic storytelling. In 6,000 years before the mending, on a plane called Zendikar, which was created to be almost like Magic's D&D world before Magic and D&D straight up made sets together. Uh, it was, you know, adventure plane, uh, you know, almost like Indiana Jonesy. Essentially, on, on that plane, there were these beings that kind of touched down there. They live in the space between the multiverses, which is called the Blind Eternities. Only very powerful beings can survive there. Anything else would be completely ripped to shreds. Essentially, how the planeswalkers travel is they turn into pure energy and travel that way, and then they rematerialize when they get to where they're going. The Eldrazi, however, are beings. They're like Lovecraftian horror beings that we understand very little about. And it's essentially picture, you know, yourself being the Eldrazi. Their physical manifestations, which are in and of themselves horrific, powerful beings that touch down the plane and just completely start raising it to the ground. If you were the Eldrazi in that situation, existing in the Blind Eternities, it would be like dipping your pinky finger into a fishbowl uh, to give you kind of an idea of the scale. So in 6,000 years before the Mending, they show up on Zendikar in a group of, I, wanna, I think it's four, maybe just three planeswalkers, uh, old walkers, god walkers, as they're called, teamed up to essentially not really defeat, but just seal away, and uh, hopefully nothing bad happens after we do that, the Eldrazi on the plane of Zendikar. The three planeswalkers were Soren Markov, who is a vampire from Innistrad. Innistrad is like a horror plane. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Nahiri, who is a lithomancer, a stone, you know, she can control, she can control stone, uh, from Zendikar on her home plane is where they sealed him away, and then Ugin, who is Nicol Bolas's twin brother. Essentially, they sealed away the Eldrazi, and I'm sure that won't be a problem, uh, probably ever again. And let's see, we have 4,437 years before the mending, we have the Brothers' War. Now, the Brothers' War is actually an interesting temporal anomaly in the Magic Universe. The Brothers' War happens when my favorite character in Magic lore, Urza, and my other, you know, least favorite character, his brother, Mishra, essentially find themselves at seats of power, uh, control of two warring factions, and it escalates into a full-on continental war in Dominaria on the continent of, I think it's Tarissier is the continent, but essentially this all ends when Phyrexia starts corrupting Mishra's side of the war, and Urza, in his first attempt to stop the spread of Phyrexia, sets off a magical nuclear bomb that is essentially a, uh, a serving dish called the Golgothian Silex. I really like the Brothers' War. I could legitimately talk, and I will, for hours about uh, the Brothers' War. We recently just had a set that was set on the Brothers' War. I think that may have been the best set of all time, quite honestly. 
but we are at about 20-ish minutes, and I want to get through much more than I've covered already. So, essentially, the Brothers' War is a huge event. Uh, It shapes Dominaria for years to come. That Setting off that nuke triggers an Ice Age on Dominaria that lasts for thousands of years, and also the multiversal ramifications of this. The blast that Urza sets off creates something called the Shard of Twelve Worlds. Essentially, it is a barrier that you can't get back into. He gets knocked outside the barrier, and Dominaria falls within that barrier. So Planeswalkers can't Planeswalk uh, into Dominaria for a a little bit. Well, I guess into or out of the Shard of Twelve Worlds. Anyway, in... Wow, this is another massive time jump. Uh, It looks like in... 1,273 years before the Mending, we have on Kamigawa, the Kami War. Now, Kamigawa is a Japanese-inspired plane. Again, kind of a really fun chapter in Magic's storytelling. They they used to tell stories in blocks, which is essentially like, for that year, you park on that plane, and you tell that plane's story. Kamigawa, they tried a Japanese-inspired lore, and it just didn't resonate with the fan base like it needed to. It was really unpopular. I think it might have been the most unpopular plane that they had ever tried at that point when it came out. But just last year, they went back to it, they updated it, and it's now one of the best-selling magic sets of all time. They added you know, futuristic aspects to it, uh, a lot of anime references, I guess also just the, the popularization of anime as, you know, a media in America also helped with this, but interesting little chapter. And in that time, uh, 1,273 years before, there is a war between the spirit realm and the mortal realm. This is uh, important to set up, I, I think, let's see. Yeah, it seems like the original events of Kamigawa took place in this time. It did. And then later, much later, it seems about a thousand years later, we get to see what Kamigawa looks like in the future, and it's honestly a, a really fun setting. In the year 1,221 years before the mending, we have, it looks like, Ixalan slash Tarkir, Fate Reforged. In an ill-fated attempt to trap Nicol Bolas, uh, leaves Azor stranded on Ixalan. I didn't know about this and Ugin dying on Tarkir. Interesting. Okay, so that's two planeswalkers, uh, Azor and Ugin, trying to take down Nicol Bolas, which is a real theme. Uh, essentially, Azor gets stuck on the plane of Ixalan. Ixalan is like... The plane itself is bigger than we've really seen. We've only had one set... Uh, well, one block, mini-block, on Ixalan. And it's just like one island. Essentially, what it really is, is it's a place where they picked four tribes and said, yeah, let's do those. Those tribes being vampires, dinosaurs, pirates, and merfolk. Who wouldn't want to play with any of those tribes? Like, it, it's just, it's a slam dunk of fun. Also, some of the best storytelling between Jace and Vraska. Jace being one of the original Planeswalkers they introduced in Lorwyn. Everyone hates Jace, and I don't understand why. Uh, but him and Vraska have a really cute love story, and I like it a lot, and I'm not sad that they got completed at all. Moving on. On Zendikar slash Innistrad, we have Soren's Betrayal. Oh, this is a, this is a fun little chapter. This is uh, 940 years before the mending. Uh, essentially, 
Nahiri wakes up and finds, uh-oh, uh, remember how we sealed the Eldrazi away and uh, it probably wouldn't be a problem? It uh, was. So we need to stop the effort to get them to basically be resummoned on this world. And the the three planeswalkers that sealed them away all made the agreement of if anything ever happens, we'll all come back and face them together. Essentially, Nahiri goes, okay, well, time to time to help with that. Now, as we just mentioned, Ugin got his butt kicked by his brother and is now dying on the plane of Tarkir. And so that leaves Nahiri and Sorin. Sorin just doesn't show up. Couldn't be bothered to show up. I don't remember if if he didn't hear therefore didn't show up or if he didn't want to therefore he didn't show up but essentially uh he was looking out for number one and didn't want to help really really solid guy soren again nahiri and soren have a really fun back and forth i'm sure this won't come up again it won't be a problem for anyone all right this next chapter is really fun this is 295 years before the mending we have on phyrexia slash dominaria the invasion of dominaria phyrexia full force assault on Dominaria, Urza tries to stop them, it doesn't go uh, the worst, I would say. Urza, I think, does a decent job, he defeats Yogmoth. the Weatherlight Saga is wrapped up, and Karn, a golem created by Urza, inherits Urza's spark. Massive oversimpli- oversimplification here, but essentially uh, Phyrexia, in the broader context, gets kicked back. Then a thousand, no, sorry, not a thousand, a hundred years before the mending, uh, we have the fun little plane of Mirrodin, which was created by Karn. It is essentially a big metallic plane. Uh, Well, I guess technically it's called Argentum. But, uh, (laughs) uh uh-oh, it's it's Phyrexianized, essentially. Um, Karn accidentally goes to Argentum with a little bit of Phyrexian oil on his shoe, and it starts completing the plane. Uh, completion is a nasty process where essentially you get turned into a evil metal robot thing, uh, a Phyrexian. Again, invented by Yogmoth. We just thought that Urza defeated them. I give Urza much more credit than most do. He did do a pretty good job driving Phyrexia back, but the war rages on. Now, 17 years before the Mending, we are back on Ravnica, where the Guild Pact, that magical agreement that they made, after 10,000 years, it is broken. So I guess the original event happened 10,017 years before, but I digress. Anyway, uh, Ravnica is a big old city at this point. Oh, I guess it wasn't a city before. That's interesting. Uh, but essentially, the leader of House Demir, which is the Black and Blue aligned guild, destroys the guild pact, and everything gets all wonky, there's all kinds of fighting breaking out. This was the events of the original Ravnica, and people really liked that set. Alright, at this point we are at zero, uh, so the, the mending, which I already talked about, so I won't go over that again. And then, 56 years later... We are back on Ravnica with a story called The Agents of Artifice. I think that's actually the novel that was written. Essentially, we get another look at Jace Bellerin. 
Uh, in this one, he is trying to work for Tezzeret, discovers he doesn't like working for Tezzeret, and then Liliana Vess, another big main character in the magic uh, world. I think I'll just skip over her for now. We'll come back to her. Starts manipulating Jace on behalf of Nicol Bolas. We've mentioned him a couple times. He is the big bad in this stage of magic lore. Then we have, in 56 years after the Mending again, uh, actually, I guess a lot happens 56 years after the Mending, so still 56 years after the Mending, we have on the plane of Ragatha, the Purifying Flame, I believe that is another novel that came out, essentially uh, Gideon Jura, another big uh, magic, I guess I should just go over who these characters are, because I keep saying I'll come back to it, and then uh, I'll probably forget. So, essentially... The couple of characters we got going on right now, uh, Jace, he is a blue-aligned mind mage. Everyone hates him. I love him. Liliana Vess is the black necromancer in magic. Essentially, she makes a deal with four different demon lords brokered on behalf of Liliana Vess by Nicol Bolas. Eventually, she winds up killing those four demon lords, and then her debt of her soul falls into the hands of Nicol Bolas because she didn't read the fine print, I guess. And then that's when she has to start manipulating people on Bolas's behalf. So anyway, uh, back to the purifying flame. We have Chandra Nalar and Gideon Jura. Gideon Jura is like a big old himbo from Theros. I, I don't really like Gideon all that much. He's just like, uh, he's kind of like magic Superman. He's just not really all that interesting of a character. He has, uh, invulnerability, I believe. Not immortality, but invulnerability. He hunts down Chandra Nalar. She's magic's, you know, uh, pyromancer, classic, hothead, uh, you know, irrational, kind of a disaster at all times, but we all love her. Uh, let's see, then we go on to Alara, the Shards of Alara block. Uh, that is where Nicol Bolas tries to take over the plane of Alara with the chaotic swarm of magic at the center of it, called the Maelstrom. Uh, essentially, he unleashes something called the Conflux onto Alara to get some of the power back that he lost during the Mending, when all of the time rifts were sealed. Essentially, Nicol Bolas' whole thing is he wants to be a god again, because, like, you know... Who wouldn't want to be a god again? All of this scheming occurs, and a Johnny Goldmane, who is one of my favorite planeswalkers, he's great, he is a big Leonin, big cat, uh, very kind person. Also, I think he's gay, Magic never confirmed that, but interestingly, uh, we'll come back to that when we go to Theros Godsend in three years. Uh, essentially, he manages to prevent the destruction of Alara with the aid of Elspeth Tyrell. Elspeth is a white-aligned planeswalker, very relevant in the current story of Magic the Gathering. Uh, she is like a heroic paladin. Her life started in the clutches of Phyrexia, where she then planeswalked away, because if you lived with Phyrexia... She doesn't live with, like, New Phyrexia or Phyrexia Phyrexia. She lives on... Uh, what is that plane called? No, it's not Arcavios. I don't remember. But essentially, the plane New Capenna is on, and she sparks because Phyrexians are awful and traumatic. Again, 56 years after the Mending, we have on the plane of Chandelar, the Curse of the Chain Veil, where Liliana Vess hunts down the mysterious Chain Veil at the behest of one of her demonic masters, who she has not killed yet, Kothaved, who I believe is on Amonkhet, maybe. 
she eventually realizes like, oh, this is a really powerful artifact and I can just kill my, uh, my demon master and then gets right to it and does that. Garrick Wildspeaker, uh, shows up and essentially in, in the earlier lore of Magic the Gathering, uh, a lot of the Planeswalkers dueled. It was just like a, a thing that Magic thought would be cool. Like, yeah, let's have the Planeswalkers duel because technically you are a Planeswalker when you play Magic, that's what you're doing. Liliana and Garrick. Garrick is a, a big, tall, muscular, loves uh, nature and animals and beasts. They had a little duel, and uh, Garrick lost and then gained black as he was cursed by the chain veil and started murdering planeswalkers. Happens. We all been there. In 57 years before the mending, we have Mirrodin and New Phyrexia on uh, the Scars of Mirrodin block. Essentially, Mirrodin loses really, really bad. There's a character, Koth. Uh, he is a geomancer from Mirrodin. Uh, Mirrodin's getting its ass kicked. He recruits other planeswalkers, Elspeth Terrell, classic hero, and Venser, who... I think he's an artificer. Essentially, they go to the core of New Phyrexia and fail spectacularly. Sound familiar? Uh, Venser sacrifices his spark to free Karn. Karn is, you know, all sad about it for basically forever. And uh, they get defeated. Koth stays behind to fight, and Elspeth and Karn promise they'll go tell the others and then don't for several years, and I'm sure that won't have any consequences whatsoever. All right, again, uh, we are at 57 years before the Mending. Uh, we are back on Zendikar with the uh, where the Eldrazi are. Essentially, Jace and Chandra and Sarkhan Vol. Sarkhan Vol, he's just like a, a red-aligned planeswalker, really likes dragons. It's kind of his whole thing. Uh, essentially, they have a fun little skirmish where the Eldrazi are being sealed away, and they unlock the Eldrazi prison. Soren returns to Zendikar and enlists the help of Nyssa Ravine, who is a green-aligned elf from Zendikar, super into nature. Uh, very powerful, too. Also, she taps into the world soul of worlds, and that's a pretty raw power that she taps into on a regular basis. Uh, essentially, Nyssa does not trust Soren and destroys the Eldrazi prison inadvertently, and, or maybe it, not inadvertently, anyway, releases the Eldrazi Titans. Now back on Innistrad in the year 58, uh, actually, I might have said before the mending on the last one, 58 after the mending, we're, we're post-mending now. Uh, ignore what I had said if I said that wrong. Liliana destroys the Hell Vault, which is a really, uh, it's, it's a magical rock. Magic has a thing for magical rocks uh, that keeps things trapped inside it. Uh, fun fact, when I had mentioned before that Soren didn't uh, pick up the call, Nahiri then went to Innistrad and was like, hey man, what the hell? And his response was, I'll lock you in a magical rock for a couple of years. Uh, a couple being a thousand. So Nahiri gets released and she's like pissed off at Soren, understandably. And, uh, essentially, they have a, a skirmish, and I think this is, this might be where she puts Soren in the rock. Maybe not yet. I don't know. Eventually, Soren gets stuck in a wall, and it's very funny. Uh, 59 years after the mending, we have returned to Ravnica block, which is where Jace Bellerin and Ral Zarek, uh, Ral Zarek is a mage for the Izzet, who 
uh, he is part of, I think he is the guild, not, not the guild master at this point. I don't know. This podcast is getting long and I think I might wrap it up after uh, this and we'll, we'll cut this episode in half. Cause I think I have what, like two more pages of this. Yeah. I have plenty more material on this. So, uh, Jason Ralph Zarek find a Ravnican failsafe left behind the pl- by the Planeswalker Azor. And they race against time. Jace uses his powers to unite the guilds. He becomes the living guild pact, uh, and Vraska does not assassinate him. Uh, they fall in love later. It's very cute. Uh, 59 years after the mending, we have Theros Godsend, which is a, uh, a really great novel. I really liked that one. Uh, Elspeth retreats after losing on New Phyrexia, goes to Theros, which is probably my favorite plane in Magic. Uh, she becomes the champion of the sun god Heliod. He betrays her and stabs her in the back after she takes care of a errant planeswalker whose name is Xenagos. He's a satyr planeswalker, really cool character, and then uh, ascends to godhood. Elspeth kills him. Thero- uh, not Theros. Heliod goes, wow, thank you. That was so cool of you, and then kills her because he's scared that Wow, you killed one god, you could kill me too. Uh, Johnny Goldmane witnesses this, and that really pisses him off. Uh, Crufix is the greatest character Magic has ever devised. Not really, but I really like him. And he is around in this arc. And we're going to stop today with 59 years after the mending. Uh, on the on Tarkir, we have the Dragons of Tarkir slash Cons of Tarkir timelines. Essentially, we get... Five different warring factions. Uh, I'll I'll talk more about this the next time. I'm I'm tired and I'd like to go do other things with my day. But yeah, that's where we'll stop and that's where we will pick up next time on Poor Man's Lore. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.